Thank you to all in the room. You can go ahead and take your seat. Those of you online, we are so grateful that you are here this morning. It is Pastor Josh Jansen and my privilege to continue the message that started two weeks ago. And we have been preaching and teaching on communion. And we're spending time because we want to make sure we really understand what communion with the Lord means. And if you missed last week, um, you have to go back and watch it. Because this week, I don't think it's possible to fully understand what we're going to share today without having the background of what Pastor Pierre taught about last week, which was when we participate in communion, or maybe you know it as the Eucharist, or to sit at the Lord's table. Sorry, technology. Pierre taught about Jesus as the host. Jesus as the host as we sit at the table and we partake in communion with him. And he broke down a verse in 1 Corinthians and we received one of these. Does anyone remember? Wave at me if you do. Yeah. If you did this, this is so powerful. You know, one of my privileges, one of the privileges that I have uh, pastoring here is I get to oversee all the groups. And a lot of the group leaders were telling me that as they did this together to debrief the service, they never even got like past a second question because this is so deep. You know, when we participate, when we sit at the Lord's table and we do communion, scripture tells us to examine ourselves. And these are deep questions. What am I grateful for? Uh, the need for reconciliation. Who do I need to extend forgiveness to? What do I need forgiveness from? Lord, how do I participate in the renewal of this broken world by participating with your spirit? This is so powerful. So again, I want to say if you missed it, go back and watch last week's message. Because today, Pastor Josh and I are going to talk about what it looks like. So last week was Jesus as the host. This week is us as the host. And we're talking about this because as Jesus followers, our communion with Jesus should always cause an internal transformation that overflows in an external transformation. It should change the way that we relate to one another. And when I was prepping for today, I was practicing with my husband last night, and he said, Carrie, you're playing it too safe. And I thought, why? And the more I listened, the more I prayed, I think I realized why that is. It's because this is really hard. It's really hard stuff. But without it, we can't be a witness to the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. So today, I'm on this journey with you. We're going to do it together. And when I was prepping, I immediately thought of a couple weeks ago, there's someone here in our church who, who put a post on Instagram. And it says, I'm looking for kindness that isn't strategic. And I thought, wow, why did that hit me so hard? And I started to think about it. It's like, why does this resonate with me? And I heard some of you in the room, it resonated with you too. Is this too much to ask? Kindness that isn't strategic? Why is that something we even need to post about? 
And I think it's because we live in this society of consumerism. Those of you that are in marketing or maybe watching online, you are in marketing, you would know that they say that we as people are a product. Every free app you participate in, you are a product. Everywhere we turn, there are people trying to market towards us that we need to purchase this thing in order to make our lives better. And I think that it has had this effect where we're a little skeptical of one another. What are your motives? Why are you really being kind to me? But I also think that when it comes down to it, we are a people starved of kindness, a people starving for connection, a people starving for meaningful relationships. But the hard truth is we cannot be present with another person. I think we actually avoid the very thing that we're longing for. And I think it's because we can't be present with another person because we're afraid of what are you going to think when you really know me? When you see my shortcomings, when you see that I can't live up to your expectations as a person, when you see that I'm more than what I post online, which is just a, a great day every day. But the thing is, we cannot be comfortable with being present with others until we are present with ourselves. And where does that happen? It happens with the Lord. When we are in God's presence, just us and him, or when we are coming together to worship as believers and we're partaking in communion together, something happens. We sit we receive, we reveal, and we receive God's love in all of our insufficiencies, in all of the ways that we will never measure up. We receive God's love. And you know what that does? It gives us the courage to sit with others because now I don't need your approval and you sure as heck don't need mine because God loves you just as much as he loves me. So today we're going to talk about the, the the portion of scripture that Pierre preached on was 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Today, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 22. And it's because, again, as Jesus' followers, our communion with God, our participation in communion, being at the Lord's table, worshiping with one another, should always permeate our external transformation in the way that we relate to one another. So let's dive into the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. This is Paul. So Paul is preaching to a church in Corinth, and it's after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he comes in, and he's saying to this church, now in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Okay, I read that and was like, wow, harsh. So my ears kind of perked up. Paul says, for to begin with, when you come together, it is not, oh, sorry, I already read that. For when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you proceeds to eat your own supper 
And when one goes hungry, another becomes drunk. What? That's how Paul writes it. What? Do you not have households to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not. Paul's saying a whole bunch of stuff here. And what we need to understand with this portion of scripture is Paul, when he came to Corinth, is talking to two different groups of people. He's preaching to two different groups of people. The first are the Jews. Now, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. They have the Old Testament. They know they have all the prophetic words. They are waiting. But remember, this scripture was written after Jesus already died and rose from the dead. So Paul got frustrated with the Jews in Corinth because they actually tried to have him arrested. They, uh, they went to the law keepers and said, hey, this guy, actually, I'm going to just read you exactly what he said. They said, this guy is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So they were so concerned with the law and they were waiting for the Messiah that they actually missed him. Not only did they miss him, but they tried putting Paul in jail for saying that Jesus was the Messiah. And Paul got so frustrated, he said, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles were people that were not Jewish. They believed in many different religions. They worshiped many gods. Um, you could call them pagans. And the people, the church in Corinth, many of them were Gentiles. And they believed in their heart that Jesus was the Messiah. But we see a lot of moral uh, craziness. Crazy things were going on. You can do your own research. The scripture is wild. But the thing that's happening here is their belief in their heart that Jesus was the Messiah wasn't permeating the way they treated one another. How do we know this? Because we just read it. Because Paul's saying, hey, you come together together for, to worship, you're actually exploiting one another. You're actually consuming so much of the Lord's Supper that you're getting drunk, they're still hungry, and I'm just going to ad-lib, you're missing the whole point. And the thing is, when I was reading this, again, our inward transformation should always overflow externally in both groups of people here, the Jews and the Gentiles were missing it. Because one was obsessed with the law in their head and the other wouldn't take a look at their own behavior. And as I was reading this, I started to ask myself and reflect, and I want to ask you too, is do I see myself in either one? Like the Jews, am I so focused on doing what is right? Am I so focused that I'm actually missing the actual presence of God all around me? Am I missing your presence? Because I have this internal dialogue going on all the time. Or maybe like the Gentiles, in my heart, have I received Christ, but I am not willing to change some things that I know need to be changed. I'm not willing to be different, to change my behavior. And I couldn't help but wonder, what would Paul say to us now? If he were to write a letter to us, because that's what this was, this was a letter to the church, what would Paul say to us now? And I think he would say, 
two things. I think he would say we've missed the point. We've missed the point of participating in communion, of eating at the Lord's table, of worshiping together. And I think he'd also say to our Western church that we have made it so individualized and it was always meant to be communal. Always. You know, with Jesus as the host, there is always an invitation to look inward and to examine ourselves. But we can't stop there. We have to allow that transformation to change how we be. And last Sunday, I was so provoked in a good way by the message. And on Monday, because I'm a full-time pastor here, I came in, came into the office, worked, and I went home. And my in-laws were there. They were watching my daughter. I'm a new mom. So she's, she's crying. I'm making dinner. It's just it's a hot mess. And I had an attitude. And I'm telling you, I was sitting there at the kitchen, stirring dinner, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, Carrie, what are your actions saying right now? To my in-laws, who spent the whole day with my daughter, you know what I was saying to them? I just went and worked eight hours in the house of the Lord, and I came back with an attitude. And that's sad. And it's not about being perfect, but it was sad because I was misrepresenting the good news and I was missing their presence in my home. I love hospitality. It's like, I love having people in my home and there they were, two people that I love and I was totally missing the moment because maybe there was something for me to receive from them and maybe there was something for me to offer them. We have to become conduit, conduits when we have communion with Jesus as the host, it should impact the way we host each other. This is the way for believers. The Lord's table taking communion is literally God's presence breaking through a broken world. Because when we are in the presence of God, when we are in the presence of each other, we participate in the blessing of Emmanuel, God here with us. And as I started to really think about this, you know, there's four elements in communion. We see Jesus offer. We see him break the bread. We see him bless it, and we see him give thanks. And when we're together, when we participate at the Lord's table, we offer ourselves, we break before Jesus. We receive his blessing and we give thanks for his mercy, for his death and resurrection. But when we host one another, I think these things look a little bit different. When we host one another at a table, we offer ourselves, and sometimes I think it never feels like it's enough. Could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe Maybe we feel insecure because we're sitting across the table because we're in the presence of someone who makes us feel like, man, I'll never live up to what they are. Or maybe we're with someone and it feels like, man, I feel so much pressure to fix their problems. But God never asks us to do that. He asks us to be a witness to what Christ is doing in the lives of each other. And you know what that does? It takes the pressure off. 
We don't have to go around being little mini messiahs. In fact, if we do, it's a sin. I'm just going to let you know. I have to remind myself of that every day. I own my journey. You own your journey. And we get to witness Christ at work in one another. And you know what that does? When I'm sitting with someone that I disagree politically with, or maybe I disagree with their views on something, I don't actually have to convince you. I don't. Because I can trust the Holy Spirit at work in you. So we just come and we offer what we have. And this is the part we offer. Remember how I told you my husband was like, uh, it's, it's kind of safe. When I prayed about it, I just started crying, thinking about how not only in communion do we offer, but we break. And the reality is that when we are in relationship with one another, when we are hosting one another, not only will we witness brokenness, we will break. It is required. We see this over and over again in Scripture. In order to live, you must die. In order to be healed, you must break. And I think that's why a lot of us avoid real, genuine relationships. It's why we avoid the tough stuff because we know part of me has to break and I have to witness the brokenness in you and trust God to be your healing. But when we offer, when we break, we also embody the blessing, Emmanuel, God here with us. And then we can give thanks because it's not even about us having enough. It's about the Christ at work all around us. And there's so much to be grateful for in that. When we're present to others, it's vulnerable and it's messy, but it is the way. We're vulnerable to Christ because he sees all the things we want to cover up. We're vulnerable to each other because we could get hurt. It is the way. And in closing, I was thinking about, you know, Lord, show me, because this is like, can be heady stuff, but we're called to actually live this out. And I was thinking about in COVID, I was um, living with my roommate, Kristen, who's here. And, you know, we all started doing crazy stuff in COVID just to like fill the time, you know, maybe, maybe you made bread, maybe you, I don't know. But Kristen and I would walk and there was one night and we both, we were in very close relationship with each other. So we knew the individual journeys that we were going on, um, the way that, the way that God was leading us, shepherding us, breaking us, healing us. And we were walking and I don't even think we were saying anything, but we came to this field and the sun was setting and without saying a word, we both just began to cry. And I believe in my heart it's because we were present to God's presence there, but also to one another. It was this thing that we were both participating in, and it didn't need words. And I think sometimes we forget that God's presence is here. Sometimes we beg for it. It's here already. I think we just miss it because we're rushing on to the other thing, and we're trying to fix this, and God's like, Woo, 
Hello. We can see it in our neighbors. So what does this look like tangibly? A life marked by communion with Jesus. The renewal within, outflowing to the renewal all around. This is how families change. This is how friendships change. This is how communities change. And I wanted to, I wanted to, I really wanted to preach about what this looks like with strangers, but I felt really convicted, like, Carrie, you don't even do this well with your own family. And those of you that know me here, like, personally, you know, I would lo- I love to sit and talk for hours about deep stuff. I'm just like, that's my comfort zone. And I know for some of you, you're like, oh, my gosh, that sounds like horror, like run in the opposite direction. So even me with my makeup that way, I was so convicted by this. We, me, I can do better. And again, it's not about perfection, but I wanted to maybe just offer a tangible next step. Because the early church did this by eating in each other's homes all the time. And now, statistically, it says that families only eat together three days a week. And who knows if that's even around a table. It could be like, you know, watching TV, whatever. So this one guy... I forgot his name, but I was reading about communion. And this one guy was talking about how as a practice with his family, he started lighting a candle. Okay, the candle's not magical. This isn't making anything happen. But what the candle was, was a reminder to his family at every meal that God's presence is here. And that made them be more present to one another. So maybe have a meal and light a candle. You don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to, like, preach a message. Maybe you're the only one who will know why the candle's lit. Everyone else is going to think it's just great ambiance. But you'll have an internal reminder that I'm trying to be present to God's presence already here, and I'm trying to be present with everyone else. And as you do that, maybe consider some of these questions to ask one another. What was your highlight this week? What are you most thankful for? So we started a little surface. Now we're getting a little bit deeper. What is something you're learning or unlearning? What are you in need of? I think sometimes with our families, we're just doing life together. We actually don't pause to ask these questions. But kindness isn't strategic. Kindness is kindness. And I think this is how we become people of the way, a witness to the world. We walk slower. We're a little bit more curious. We don't need to fix one another. That's God's job. And this is how we host one another. So again, if you didn't watch last week's message, watch it because it's the foundation for this week's message. We talked about Jesus as the host, us as the host to one another, and now Pastor Josh is going to come up and talk about how we host strangers or the lost. Thank you. How are we doing? Excellent. Uh, let's see. Paul, is, Paul, she read that verse from Paul. Could you imagine he's He's like, you guys meet, but it doesn't matter or something. What did he say? Oh, she's gone. Uh, cool. Um, something about you guys, you guys are meeting, but it's like, it's not working. Could you imagine if that's like how we, we ran this right now? We come in here and like, David, you're here, but you're not here. 
You're David. Yeah, see, it's awkward for everybody. He doesn't even, he forgot his name. It was so awkward. It was nuts. <clears throat> but anyway, Paul could do that. Uh, we're not going to. Um, if you ever, like, take it a moment, like, if we all just, like, for, like, 10 seconds, I was like, I want you to think back on your most favorite memory. Like, that part of your life, like, if you get, and I, we all do this, like, you go back and it's like, if I could just live in that space, just in, like, that one moment, and if, like, first of all, I asked last service, like, who's got one? Uh, Kayla was, uh, who's on our, she was here. I was like, what was yours? What's your memory? What's, like, what's your favorite memory? She's like, oh, when I would come home from work and see my daughter's face. I was like, wow, I'm way more vain than you. Because um, mine, it was like I was in eighth grade for whatever reason. This has stuck with me forever. Like, I was in eighth grade, and all I wanted was an Xbox. It was like, you know, a Red Rider, um, I don't know. Uh, wagon, but I, I wanted an Xbox. My parents kept telling me no. They're like, you're never, we're not doing that. It's like so expensive. Just forget about it. You're not getting it. They made me debate my brother who's a lawyer now. And they're like, if you can beat him in a debate, we'll get you the Xbox. And I did the debate. It was like dumb and I didn't win obviously. And so, um, and then, so I just went, and then one morning on my birthday, I woke up and I was supposed to go to a basketball game. But if you look at me, I'm terrible at basketball. And so I opened the door and the Xbox is like on the floor outside my room. And I had like one of those out-of-body experiences. Like, I like stepped back and like I almost passed out. Like I could not believe that they actually did this thing and like live it. Like if I could just live in like that moment. But you want to know what's crazy about memories is like they're actually super like fickle. Like our brains are pretty fallible. So what they say is like even like flashbulb memories were like so vivid like, you remember vivid details. What research, apparently, I just read about it. I'm not a doctor at all. Um, but, like, what research shows is that we've reconstructed the details in our brains so much that, like, we're actually, it's an obscured memory even still. Uh, they say that, uh, like, your memories, it's not like a video playback. You're actually reconstructing the details every single time. So every time, you're, you're probably shifting details of the memory uh, that you think back on all the time, which is kind of sad. Like, you could tell the story, and then someone else who was there would tell the story pretty differently than you, uh, because memory is weird. Our brains are pretty strange places. And uh, what's so interesting is that when Jesus was eating his last dinner with his disciples, he, he breaks bread, like we've been talking about, and he says, I want you to do this, but do it in remembrance of me. Now, if we're not careful, like in our, in our Western language, we would, we would read that and be like, oh, it's like a good memory of the big guy. Okay, yeah, like we can do this. Like let's, let's have a great memory. But when you read what that word actually meant, the word didn't actually mean memory as like recalling something in your mind because I think Jesus knew that would be a terrible way to do this. It would never last. Uh, it actually, the word is uh, anamnesis is the original language, and that means to like reenact something. It's a reenactment of the thing. So Jesus is essentially saying, hey, when you do this, do this as a reenactment of what I have done for you. Now, let me make this make a little more sense. I've been married uh, for, I think, 11 years. And what would be really odd is if my marriage was purely based on, like, some love we had when we were dating. Like, if all we did was talk about the love we had while we were dating and that, that was the thing that was keeping us going, that'd be a really stupid way to have a relationship. Like, if, if all we had to look back on was, like, the memory of our wedding day and be like, man, we are just crushing it right now because of that day that we said those. No, like, in order for a relationship to work, 
You have to continually, like, almost like reinvent ways to experience love together. You have to get more and more creative with, with how, you, how you date and how romance happens. Then you add kids to it, which is nuts. And you have to be even more creative about how you spend time with each other and figure this thing out. And one of what's crazy, you can always tell those couples who are getting old, they're in their 60s, their 70s, their 80s, not that that's old, but you get it. Um, and like they've been married for a long time. And like the glint in their eye when they see each other is like still there. There's like something about like watching people who've been at this for a long time and you can tell like these people still date. They probably still kiss each other. Like they still look at each other like they're the only people in the room. Like there's something. And then like the opposite is also true. Like you've seen the couples and you're like, man, I'm convinced they can't stand each other. Like, I mean, it's nobody here because we're perfect. But like, uh, like you've probably been around people and you're like, man, like if, if someone says the wrong thing here, I think someone's going to explode. I think decades of tension is just going to blow up here uh, on the table in front of us. They sleep in separate rooms and never go on dates, never have time. Life is too busy. Like you've all seen those because if you're not reenacting the love, if you're not reenacting why you started this thing in the first place, it will never last. The same is true with your walk with Jesus. This is why God uses the word. When they wrote the scriptures, the word amnesis was used because God knew if you do not reenact this thing, you're going to forget the essence of what it meant altogether. You'll create your own conclusions on why Jesus had to come and Jesus had to die. And I want you to know today as we wrap up these conversations about the Lord's table that Christ came to seek and to save those who were lost. If we forget that fact, that Christ came to the world to save sinners, and Paul says, of whom I am the worst. If we forget that fact, we're missing the point of the entire thing. And so what, the, what we're going to, I'm just going to wrap up some things today uh, with the fact that the Lord's table, this thing, the breaking of bread, it is a call to the communal and transformational presence of Jesus in our everyday lives. It is the call to the communal and transformational presence of Jesus in our everyday lives. And want to know what's crazy is that it's communal even with perceived divisive people. Here's what it says in, in uh, Luke. Luke was one of the guys who wrote one of the stories and the accounts of Jesus. And Luke 5.27 says, After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Jesus says, Follow me. And so Levi got up, he left everything and followed him. Then they held a great banquet. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were seated with them, were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders, these are the church people, okay, so just hold on to your hats here. Uh, they belonged to their sect. They complained to, the, to his disciples, and they asked, this is what the religious people asked. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That was an interesting one. When, uh, when Luke writes this, he says that the, uh, the large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. The religious leaders say, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, for, just to recap a little bit of what's happening here, nobody likes tax collectors, okay, in ancient Rome. They really don't. The Jewish people hated tax collectors because the tax collectors were Jewish people that the Roman uh, government hired to collect the taxes from the Jewish population. And what the tax collectors would do is they take some off the top so that they would make their income. So not only were they stealing from their own people, but now they're being hired and working for the very government that's oppressing them. They were hated. Nobody liked them. And so for Jesus to go up and say, hey, I want you to follow me. Jesus was doing something very, very different 
when he launches his ministry. You see, because what would have made sense is for Jesus to go to church, find a circle of the cream of the crop, find the hardest working people in the church at that time. I mean, the people who just knew the first, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, all the laws were crushing it. Maybe a little on the young side because he knew he had some potential and he could really build with these guys. You know, people who just knew their stuff. That's what a normal rabbi would have done. But Jesus, he launched his ministry by approaching divisive people and inviting them into a circle. This actually makes no sense until you understand that the mission of Jesus was to seek and to save those who were lost. Now, what do you think the banquet felt like with Jesus? Jesus sits down at this table with a bunch of people who everyone in the church cannot stand them. And now you've got Jesus who's claiming to be the Son of God sitting at this table. Do you think that Jesus probably sat there and just gave them the litany of things that it takes to be a Jesus follower? You think he sat there and like handed them a survey and he's just fill this out. It's going to spell out everything that you need to know, all the ways you should behave and everything. You figure this stuff out. When we leave this dinner here, uh, you're going to go home. You're going to chew on a little bit. Maybe talk to your spouse. I'm going to call you back in a couple weeks. We're going to see if this is the thing that you actually want to do. And then you're going to leave everything and follow me. But you've got to get X, Y, and Z put together first. Do you, or maybe, do you think that Jesus sat down and found himself present with the very people that he came to save? You think that maybe Jesus sat down and, and just talked to people. See, how are we going to continue the mission of Jesus if we're not present with people? How are we supposed to continue the very thing Jesus started if we are not present with people? So you have to ask yourself a couple questions today, okay? Who is at your table? Right now, who, who on, when you think about your week, and we're talking about an actual table and the proverbial table, okay? When you're going through, how often are you putting yourself in situations where you need to become more aware that the presence of God is with you? Because here's the reality. When you understand that the presence of God is with you, when you show up present and you invite the presence of God to be with you, it's the presence of God that sets people free. There's nothing you and I can say. There's no argument we can make. There's nothing we can force to make people change behavior, to make people change outlook. But what we can do is we can show up and be present. So who are you being present with on a weekly basis? When you go to the grocery store, now, I'm, I, have, I told first service, I'm preaching this to myself because I'm like the worst, okay? So if I go anywhere outside my house without my AirPods, I am just lost. I'm like, what are we doing? Why I don't want to talk to people. And like, so I just put it, if I go to Wegmans, put them in, noise canceling. Let's just go. Let's do this thing and listen to some great music or a good podcast. And like, we just go. And then I don't talk to anybody. It's terrible. Okay. It's, it's awful. Uh, so the question is like, what is your posture when you're walking through your week? How often are you able to look someone in the eye, a cashier, a waitress, uh, people at work, uh, coworkers, students, other classmates that you're, what is your posture are you inviting conversation? Are you inviting the presence of Jesus to be with you? When's the last time you've learned someone's name? My wife, she's so different than me because I have, I have zero time for this and I got to get better. And she's like, she's like, I've just been asking God to help me remember people's names. 
She's like, there's something so special when you meet someone, like she's been going to the Y, you meet someone at the gym, and then you're going through a week, you walk into Costco, and then Carol from the gym is in Costco. And she's like, it's crazy when you're like, hey, Carol. And like, it's baffling when people just see, the, the, when they know that they're seen and that they're known. It's like this human need to want to be known. So how are you learning people's names? And if this is too practical for you, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's something powerful when the church shows up present and when we can be communal with perceived divisive people. If all we do is copy what's happening on the internet where we surround ourselves with the echo chamber of our own algorithm and we're only surrounded by people who talk like us, look like us, smell like us, believe like us, it is impossible to continue the mission of Jesus. Because this is where it gets crazy. The table of the Lord is transformational. There's nothing you and I can do. It is only the Holy Spirit acting on us being present. And it is absolutely transformational. Because when the, the Pharisees said, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus responds. He asks his disciples. And I love how Jesus turns around from the table. And he's like, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have, not called, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This, honestly, if you can just for a moment, this turns the world upside down. Because what he is saying is, I understand that you have all the theology. I understand that you have all the biblical knowledge that you need. But until you are ready to call sinners to repentance. You're missing the point. In Matthew, when Matthew wrote his version of this event, Jesus says, it's mercy over sacrifice. God is looking for mercy over sacrifice. Jesus is looking at these religious people and said, you guys are sacrificing everything. You think you've got this all worked out. You've got the rules. You've changed your family structure. You've changed how you operated. You changed the words that you speak. God forbid a swear word comes out of your mouth. Like you've done everything to look prim and proper and have it all together. And he's got what, what God, what Jesus is saying is it's mercy over sacrifice. What he's saying is I've already done the sacrificial thing. And that word mercy, what it means is loving kindness. Loving kindness over sacrifice. What Jesus is honestly saying is to stop trying to call people to live to the level of maturity that you're at when they don't even know that you know their name. It is loving kindness. And scripture, it goes even further because it says that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. The kindness of God. You will never hear a story where someone is like, yeah, they just berated me until I accepted it. That is not the story of the gospel. It is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Jesus, he's being questioned by religious leaders, and his response is that he's not even here for them. He wants lost people to find healing. You see, the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it's patient with those who are lost. And as we wrap this up, I just want to remind you that at some point, that very presence of Jesus was patient with you and he was patient with me. 
The same loving kindness that still wants lost people today to find hope, healing, freedom is the exact same presence that came and was extremely patient with you and your journey. Extremely patient to walk with you, maybe on a slower journey than you wish, for you to find wholeness, for you to find healing, for you to find love and acceptance. But we serve a good God who's like, man, I just want you to figure out the fact that I'm here for you in the midst of your mess. I'm here to bring you hope and healing from the pain that you are clearly suffering from. He is patient with you. He's patient with me. And I can promise you that right now, Christ still came to save sinners. Christ still came to save a culture that maybe feels like it's spinning out of control. There is a God in heaven who desperately wants to save lost people. So maybe when you're sitting with people, you're watching the news, you're watching TikTok, which if you want to laugh a little bit, you honestly should, okay? Just put it out there, okay? Uh, anyway, uh, when you're, like when you're sitting with people, like instead of looking for problems, what would happen if we turned the focus to seeing potential? You know, instead of, instead of, instead of like responses to issues that create wedges, like can I approach people with some semblance of curiosity? Can I sit across the table from someone and be like, man, this is totally confusing to me, but I'm willing to at least understand your story a little bit because I believe that when I show up to a table, to a conversation, to a moment, I truly believe that the light of the candle is always burning. I just believe that the Holy Spirit is always working. He's always active. He always wants to be in the midst of conversation. The question is, am I going to allow myself to become more aware that the Holy Spirit is moving and the Holy Spirit actually wants to set people free. So instead of closing my life for the fear of the culture around me, can I open my world so that the glory of God may be displayed? So my challenge for you this week as we close out these conversations about the Lord's table is find ways to break bread with people. Invite people into your world. Open your world just a little bit. Let curiosity guide your conversations. Let the Holy Spirit work in the midst of God. Don't be moving so fast that you miss moments with people. Don't make up your mind so staunchly that you're actually closing out conversations with human beings who just need freedom. Let's be a church that has genuine conversations where the Holy Spirit can do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. God, we thank you for the, for the reminder to come to the table with people. So God, this week, I pray that you would put us in situations that we just can't get out of. Put us in conversations that force us to remember that your Holy Spirit is here. God, remind us to be more aware of your Holy Spirit working in the lives of the people around us. God, help us to get out of our own way. God, help us to remember that it's the loving kindness of you that leads people to repentance. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.